Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Peach State Pandemonium, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network, where we take you down memory lane for a look at professional wrestling the way it used to be, with conversations from those who paved the way. And now, the GWH Radio Network presents Peach State Pandemonium. We didn't grow waiting Good on evening. the Good evening. Good <laughs> evening. Welcome to Peach State Pandemonium for Thursday, June 30th, 2016. This is Michael Norris. And along with Jay West, Jerry Oates, is Bobby on with us yet? I'm here. He just just okay, came on. And, and Bobby Simmons. Can you guys believe this year's already half over? Gee, Monetti. It's flying. Yeah, I, I've heard that as you get older, it uh, you know the time collapses collapses in on itself. Well, and. Bobby, Jerry, and I wouldn't know anything about that, Jay. Why don't you tell us all about getting older? Well, it's true. I mean, I can remember, I can remember as a kid, you know, how long it would take for certain things to, to take place, and uh, it's not that way anymore, except going to the dentist. I mean, that it gets there right away. I had to, had to go last week, and I'm still feeling that. Are you getting wisdom teeth or what? No, I've, I've been without wisdom for a number of years, but... Uh, Uh, I got rid of that a long time ago, but uh, these back molars, and the sad thing about it is you spend all that money, listen to this, folks, uh, word of advice, you spend all that money on root canals and crowns, and guess what? Eventually they're going to come out anyway, particularly your back molars. So just keep that in mind. So I just watch your money go down the drain. Well, see, you waste your money going to the dentist. Bobby just sneezes and his teeth come out, so you know. (laughs) Oh, man. But anyway, as, as I was saying, just before we went on the air, I've been watching Shark Week all week on uh, on the Discovery Channel. And they, uh, I saw a program where they were tagging these uh, great whites and following them up and down the East Coast. And uh, there was a couple that were, were going between St. Augustine and, and Carolinas and kind of hanging around uh, Hilton Head and everything. I was wondering if that might have been one of your two sharks, uh, Jerry. Yeah, well, they've been out there. They've been they they cruise. They get around. I too. cannot imagine. Hey, I'll throw out a name for you, Mike. Uh, Scotty Moore. Scotty Moore, Elvis Presley's original guitarist. That's correct. He died. He and this Bill. Week. He and Bill Black were. Yeah, I saw he was eighty-four. He and Bill Black yeah. were were Elvis's original combo. Right. Then DJ Fontana joined them, and uh, yeah. they were along with the uh, the Jordanaires were Elvis. Jordanaires, yeah. Were original backing group. Scotty Moore was very interesting if you uh, if you saw him or heard him play because. Uh, his uh, instrumental parts that he would put in Elvis's uh, songs were not your standard rockabilly licks, nor were they melodious licks. They were his own, but they definitely had a jazz, uh, you know, sounded like roots uh, sound to them, and uh, they were, you know, very much his. And uh, in particularly Elvis's two or three first RCA hits, he's uh, got a very definitive sound to his playing. 
Yeah, Elvis always did have some pretty distinctive guitar players with him. Um, a name I'm sure you know. Once he got uh, in the late '60s and started kind of forming a regular group of musicians that he toured with, you've heard the name James Burden, right? Oh my God, yeah. Who played with Ricky Nelson? Yeah. Uh, yep. You could always see James Burton in those Ozzy and Harriet uh, slots at yep. the end of the show. Uh, where he would be in the background playing. And, I mean, he played with everybody. Uh, John Denver uh, was one of the last guys he played with when Denver was really big. And uh, he actually also played with Jerry Lee Lewis towards the end of Jerry's uh, uh, major career. So, yeah, if you, if you needed a guy for a tour that knew what he was doing, then uh, Mr. Burton was who you called. Yeah, James played with Elvis during the, uh, the uh, karate suit days, the jumpsuit days. Yep. And uh, had a bass, bass player by the name of Jerry Schiff. It was another uh, well-known studio musician, traveling musician. But uh, Elvis signed him up. So he, you know, he he surrounded himself with uh, a very good, uh, very good band usually all the time. But a, a funny story: just probably two, three months before Elvis died in '77, he came to uh, came to Mobile. And uh, he uh, was playing at the Municipal Auditorium, and uh, the girl I was dating at the time was uh, in chorus at school. So um, I'd already graduated, so but I was at work, so she called me and she said, uh, are you off whatever night it was during the week? And I said, yeah, I get off that afternoon. Why, what's up? She said, well, uh, the chorus has been uh, selected to... Um, serve as ushers at the Municipal Auditorium during Elvis's show. And wow. she said, and I really don't want to go unless you you go with me. And I wasn't uh-huh. in the course. I'd already graduated from school. I said, well, that's fine. I'll go. But I knew the, the course teacher and everything. And so uh, she was talking about the whole time that, uh, you know, we saw the all these women there in, in their long dresses and fur coats and, you know, and their mink coats and diamonds and pearls and all this stuff. She's talking about, what are, these, what are these women dressed up for? Coming out here to see this fat old man. I said, well, we'll see your reaction when he walks on stage. But anyway, <laughs> there was this guy that was, was hawking gimmicks the whole time. You, you've been to concerts back in the 70s where they, you know, especially in Elvis or somebody like that, where they were hawking the, the programs and get your programs and all that type of stuff. Well, this guy's sitting on the corner of the stage, and he's dressed to the nines. I'm talking about he's got on a full outfit. You know the the big bell bottom pants and the matching vest and the, the puffy sleeve shirt, and I'm standing there on the side of the stage and I'm ribbing this guy. I'm saying, "No, what are you dressed up for? You just selling gimmicks, huh? you know? What what are you so dressed up for? Nobody knows who you are, who you are, or what you are, or where you are, or anything else. They can't even see you." So I just I kept on him and ribbing him the whole time. And so uh, the opening act was uh, J.D. Sumner and the Stamps Quartet which I'm sure Bobby's familiar with or anybody that knows gospel music is familiar with. So he's introducing them individually as they go on stage. And he introduces the tenor, says the tenor's name, lays the microphone down and walks out on the stage. That's who I'd been ribbing the whole time, the tenor singer for the <laughs> Stamps Quartet. So his name was his name was Gary. I don't remember what his last name was, but... Uh, 
so when Elvis finally came on stage, and of course the whole time my girlfriend is is just talking about what you know who's here to see this fat old man and all this stuff. He walked out on stage, and by the time Gary had gotten us up on the stage, we were sitting at the corner of the wow. stage. And um, Elvis walked out, walked across the stage, and looked at my girlfriend and winked at her, and she nearly blacked out. <laughs> so, so. During the concert, you know, he was always giving away those scarves and everything. He walked back over to her and took a scarf off and wrapped it around her her shoulders. And this right. woman came from nowhere, like she like, she was like a flying squirrel. She came flying out of the audience and grabbed my girlfriend by the throat and said, "Give me that scarf or I'll kill you." <laughs> so she snatched her scarf off of uh, my girlfriend's neck, and I'm. Swinging at her, punching this lady, trying to get her back in the audience. So the next thing I know, she's gone, but she's got the scarf with her. So, so uh, I said the guy's name was Gary. It was Jerry. Jerry saw what was was happening. So when the concert was over with, he came over and he said, "I can't get you a scarf because he's giving them all out." I said, "He said, but here's Elvis's drinking glass, a glass he'd been drinking out of the whole, oh my goodness. all night long." So she ended up with that, and, uh, and when we broke up. Uh, three years later, she still had that glass, so I'm assuming she still got it. Did you? But, you didn't try to leave with it. What's that? <laughs> the glass. <laughs> no. <laughs> I didn't want it. Hell, it took me ten years to get my my class ring back from her. Well, that must have been <laughs> less than an amicable breakup, there, Mike. Yeah, it slightly was. Yeah. But uh, my first wife saw Elvis move to Birmingham, moved to Birmingham, and get in the wrestling business. So my first I wife saw Elvis down at the Macon, Macon Coliseum. Uh, was one of his. Uh, uh, she was wanting to go, and I got her a ticket. I was working at the radio station that day, and I, you know, I'd seen Elvis enough. I'd seen him since in Sullivan days on TV. But at any rate, uh, she saw him at the Macon Coliseum, and. Uh, that was one of the highlights of her life was uh, was seeing Elvis. My my first wife really loved Elvis, as most ladies of that era did. I saw him three or four times in Atlanta. Uh, he put on a heck of a show. I, you know, I wasn't a huge Elvis fan either until I actually saw him in person. And yeah. uh, I'll say this: he worked his fanny off on stage. And when yeah, when I pay my did. money to go see somebody, I want them to work hard. Right. And, uh, he he did. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, uh, I, I don't know. That's maybe truth. We had, let me tell you this story right quick before I forget. <clears throat> the last time he came to Atlanta, if you remember, uh, he, he did a show here in 76, uh, in the spring. He did his normal, he would come through on his tours, do three or four days. Right. Uh, you know, when he came in and at that time, that was the time he got all the bad publicity for being overweight and, yeah. He didn't and the shows weren't that good. Well he came back in December of seventy six and did one show. Uh and he said that the 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 thing you know, the the word around the Omni was that was they booked the show because he had been overweight and he had hadn't done his best shows and he was he was closing out the year doing some one night shows and he was doing one in Atlanta. So anyway, they they put the word out that he's coming. And uh this was the last time I saw him. It was the last time he played Atlanta, but but uh, when they put the word out that tickets were going on sale, we had a woman 
drag a 55-gallon drum to the ticket window at the Omni <laughs> and moved into it. <laughs> she stayed. She stayed in this 55-gallon drum for about four or five days. Wow. I don't know how she. I mean, I felt so sorry for her. I, when I would go to lunch up in the Omni International, I would bring her food. It was just. Uh, what? What time of year was that by? It was in December. Oh. Jeez, he man. came through. I don't remember the exact day he was here. It was. It was in December, but the tickets went on sale like three, four weeks ahead of time. And uh, so it could have been could have been November, but she just, I mean, this woman was just determined. And you know, the sad part is, she, you know, even after all that, she didn't get a front row ticket, and that's what she was after. But right. you know, I mean, it was just those kind of you had to know somebody or be connected some way or something. But it was just a, uh, I mean, people were. You're right, people were crazy when they would do a lot of things to get to see Elvis. Well, I saw him that uh, in '77 that last thing he did and then uh i saw him twice in 71 which was when you know he was probably at the the peak of his career he'd done the the uh the um aloha from hawaii special and all that stuff and uh my aunt my mother and, and my aunts used to go they were they were all nuts about him and and tom jones and sandwiched in between seeing elvis twice that year i got to see tom jones too but the biggest thrill for me, seeing Tom Jones was his backup band was the was the uh, Count Basie Orchestra. Uh huh. So I got to see yeah. Count Basie. Elvis, uh, you know, after he did that comeback uh, special on on television after he got out of the army, and he'd been he hadn't worked for a couple of years, and he did that, and then he started touring again. He was he was as you said, right at his peak right then, as far as uh, uh, you know what he did on stage and what he was capable of doing, and he was definitely quite a, quite a showman. I remember his first time he was on television, on network television in 1955. Yes, folks, I do remember that. I was eight years old, and he, the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, he was on the summer show that uh, took the place of uh, Jackie Gleason, and uh, he, he, uh, that was pre having to have his bottom half, uh, you know, cut off from the camera, and uh, the Dorsey Brothers summer show. And Tommy and Jimmy Dorsey, and uh, so at any rate, he did three shows of that before uh, his manager got him uh, set up on Ed Sullivan, and uh, we know what happened after that. Well, you know, the first yep. his first live performance in Atlanta was held at the Sports Arena. Yes, it was on Chester Avenue. Well, he uh, he played in Mobile in. Before he, uh, I guess he was still on Sun Records. Around the same time, he was still doing the Louisiana Hayride. He yeah. played at the uh, Shrine Auditorium in Mobile, which is where they had re- the weekly wrestling matches in the uh, early 50s. <laughs> he had a little trouble getting people behind him initially, but after it happened, he was... Uh, you know, uh, and of course he had the right kind of talk about a talk about a huckster. His uh, his uh, manager, Colonel Parker, he knew uh, you know he knew what to do. Well, back to the uh, wrestling world. Following Facebook yeah. today, I'm assuming that uh, <clears throat> I 
seen that Tommy was in the hospital today, Tommy Rich. So I'm assuming today might have been the day he had his hip replacement done. Wow, hope, hope things went well for him. Uh, everything, according to what I just to what I followed on on uh, with Terry, his wife, uh, everything went well. He seems to be doing okay, and I'm and I'm not positive that's what happened today, but I kind of got a feeling that it is. Well, if that is the case, um, hope hope for the best for him and his recovery. Speaking of Facebook, uh, I had been on the internet for a couple of days. And I uh, got on there, and I saw that our uh, friend Bill Sellier had uh, uh, put a few uh, photos out from our weekend gathering. Yes, sir. Had some had some pretty good pictures there of uh, our little get together. We had a great crowd. Had about 26 people, I think, all together showed up, and uh, uh, everybody seemed to enjoy themselves. We didn't have any mass killings or anything, so <laughs> that's that's always a good day. Yeah. No, a couple of, couple of new people. Uh, Scott Teal and his wife uh, came down. First time that uh, they've joined us, and uh, good to see them. And uh, Mac Mac McMurray was was back because he had didn't he miss the last couple? Bobby? He, he missed the last one or two because of uh, uh, one time he had been in the hospital. Another time he had a, a previous booking he had to make. But uh, uh, it was good to see Mac and. Uh, Levi Banks was there. Levi looks fantastic. He looks like he has lost, you know, 50, 60 pounds, and uh, he looks looks real good. Yes, he yeah. does. Well, he looks and, as good uh, as he can with what he has to work with. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I think most of us can yeah. say that on a good day. <laughs> and I appreciate Scott Till's little gift to us. Uh, after oh, yeah. our Mount Rushmore trip, it was nice of them to report that they had made some changes <laughs> since we had been there. Oh, <laughs> uh, we were, uh, Mike. Do you know anything about who was behind that? Uh, I plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had, had, had a way of doing it. I uh, I would have had. Uh, had three T-shirts made for you guys, but uh, but I knew Scott was good with uh, with uh, Photoshop. What I did, Jerry, is is when the guys were on their trip to uh, see Mount Rushmore, I called Scott and I said, "You're pretty good with Photoshopping, aren't you?" And he said, "Yeah, why?" I said, well, I said I got a good idea for a rib." I said, "Find a picture of Mount Rushmore and take it and leave George Washington's." face on there because that way that makes it easily identifiable as Mount Rushmore. I said, but replace the other three faces with Bobby, Charlie, and Randy. So that's what he did. <laughs> it, it, it looked excellent. I mean, it, you know, and Charlie Smith looked very presidential, I'll tell you that. <laughs> no, don't say that too loud. <laughs> Didn't say president or what, but he looked very presidential. Terry, you uh, getting ready for a big week down there at the beach? Yeah, it's going to be big. It's going to be big. It's probably already started, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, tomorrow it'll start for sure. Oh, okay. You got to work all weekend? Yeah. Ooh. Well... I hope you got the golf cart charged up. 
It's going to be too warm to be doing much walking. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be it's it's going to be slammed down there. Too many people. But the weather's supposed to be kind of bad, so. So that's good, right? That's good. Do they do anything special for the fourth? Do they do any kind of concerts or fireworks or anything like that? Uh, they, they they always did the fireworks on the third, but uh, they're going to do them on the fourth this year. And that'll cut back on the traffic because they do them here in Savannah uh, on the same night. So that that'll that'll cut back on uh, the traffic. It, it can take up to three hours to get off the island when they have it on the third. Right. Hey, this is, you know, it's one way on, one way off, and it just kind of bogs everything down. I can't imagine. Well, we'll see what happens. People like that, they've never seen fireworks before. <laughs> <laughs> They do put on a good fireworks show. They, they, you know, it costs a lot of money to put those fireworks on. I was going oh, to ask you, who, I can imagine who act- so. Who actually pays for the fireworks there, Jerry? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I really don't know. I really don't know. I think uh, a lot of the merchants get together and do it, and the uh, Travel bureau there or something. I'm not exactly sure. Okay. How long does the show usually last? The fireworks. Yeah. I timed it one year. It's like 18 minutes. And what? And what, what does 18 minutes cost? <laughs> A ton. I can imagine. 18 minutes to. Probably eighteen. I mean, twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars. I would imagine. Wow. Jeez. Eighteen Jeez. minutes to watch it, three hours to get off the island. Yep. <laughs> That's about the way it is at Snow Mountain. Oh my God! Don't even talk about that. I got involved in a in, in a uh, backup out there one year, and we were I was attending a convention, and it was uh, one of the same nights they were putting on the. Uh, Fireworks and it 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 was like people had never driven before, you know it it unbelievable. I had a friend of mine got conned by his wife and and daughter to go out for the fireworks on the Fourth of July there one year, and uh, he had been involved in a uh, a lawnmower accident where he had almost cut his toe off. So he's he's bandaged up. He can't put a shoe on, and he gets conned into going to this. So they go out there. Well, of course, there's so many people at Stone Mountain. People were just parking everywhere. Well, he's one of the lucky ones that they towed his car because it was not in the right place. And he said he said they had to walk like three miles to get to where the impound lot was. And when he got over there, it cost him like 150 bucks, and he didn't get home till like six in the morning. Oh my! And it was gosh. one of those deals, you know, a 15, 20 minute firework show yep. and. Hundred fifty bucks and all night to get home. Yeah, that's a real nightmare. Unbelievable. 
Well, <clears throat> I just uh, I'm planning on spending my. Uh, I have some neighbors that on the Fourth of July they go crazy shooting bottle rockets and stuff. I'm just gonna sit here in my house and hope the roof don't catch on fire when they land on it. <laughs> well, I thought of something I was gonna ask you guys and see if uh if we could get a little mileage out of it, talking about uh the wrestling business. And and this this pertains to either when you were a fan or even after you got in the business, was there a match or that you you read a lot about or heard a lot, you know, guys talking about that you wish you'd seen. I know a lot. I wish I'd have been in the ring with. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Frank well, Hickey said the same thing about you. <laughs> oh. I would love to have seen Buddy Rogers when he was in his heyday. Everything I've ever read about him and everything I've ever seen on film, he just. He uh, come to Georgia when he was a champion. I don't know. I never saw him. I'm not sure. I mean, I went during those years, and I never saw him. I don't think he traveled much with it. No, he uh, he pretty much stayed in uh, the Northeast, and that's the reason they had so much controversy about him. Because at that time he was tied in with McMahon and and Coach Mont, and uh, they lobbied for him to get the uh, the title, knowing good and well what they were going to do was tie him up and and use him, you know, keep him mainly in the Northeast. He would go to Houston and places like that and, you know, Chicago. For Chicago, Fred uh, Kohler was actually uh, in cahoots with them as well. But uh, And that's the reason why, you know, they got so many complaints at the NWA that he wasn't, you know, the other promoters couldn't couldn't get shots on him because they were tying him up. That's why they had Feds come back and take the title from him. Because they knew if he decided not to give it up, the Fez would have taken it anyway. He was, uh, we we saw him uh, in Charlotte, and uh, he and I went up there and spent the summer, and uh, he was there. He was an impressive-looking son of a gun, now I'm telling you. I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. He was impressive. Everybody I've talked to him about, and I can't explain this. I mean, we understand it, but, you know, Jerry Graham... Uh, the good doctor was one of those people that had whatever it is. He just right. walked into a room and got heat. And they say that, that Rogers was the same way. So he didn't have to open his mouth, just walk into a, an arena and people wanted to kill him. And uh, I, that's that's one guy I would like to have seen. Frankie King told me that uh, he was in New York and uh, Rogers was up there. And he said, Roger, Rogers walked into this restaurant. He said, you know, half the people, well, most of them probably didn't even know who he was. But when he walked in and started walking through there, people just put the forks down and just stared at him. Like, they didn't know who he was, but he was somebody, you know. Yeah. He, he was, you know, he he just carried himself like that. And, I mean, he was, he was, he was an impressive son of a gun. Well, and the, and you know, 
in the 50s, uh, a lot of your major stars, particularly those that appeared in New York, uh, were well known, you know, because the network television still featured them on variety shows. And uh, so they had a lot of uh, celebrity clout that guys later on that were just as big in the 60s and 70s didn't have. Uh, but, uh, you know, a guy working, obviously you're going to have good nights and bad nights. But uh, I would have liked to have seen Lou Fez. I saw him many times, and he always put on a, you know, a good match, but I'd like to have seen him during his his major push when he was uh, a younger guy. And I would have well, liked I've to have seen Go ahead. I, I'll, go ahead. No, go ahead, Jeff. And, uh, you know, reading the magazines and everything, I would have liked to have seen one of the major build-up Fred Glassie versus John Tolos matches out in L.A. Yeah. Bring my raincoat, but I would have liked to have seen it. <laughs> well, I think mine, uh, having heard uh, – especially Smitty talk about it. The one match that sticks out in my mind that I would love to have seen is that uh, Florida champion versus Georgia champion, Frisco against Bockwinkle. Yep. That would have been, uh, I would imagine that was, was one whale of a match. Once, once Nick got over the disappointment of having to go out there with that 10 can belt. <laughs> <laughs> I got to see Bachwinkle work with Dory Funk Jr. That was a that was a classic. What year was that, yeah. Bobby? God, it was when it was when when Bachwinkle had his run here in Georgia as a heel. Had to yeah. be the late sixties, very early seventies. Uh, uh, don't remember the another another another. Match that I mean I just I can sit here and think of all kind of matches that I really thoroughly enjoyed seeing. You're talking about Lou Fez. Right after Fez lost the title to Konitsky, they did the deal all across the country where they had the rematches. Yeah. And I remember it was one of the rare times in Atlanta where they publicized the match a month ahead of time and put tickets on sale a month ahead of time and charged uh, championship prices. And me and my uncle bought. We actually bought the uh, you know the load seats in the auditorium. The first three rows of that first balcony were reserved. Yep. We bought load seats for for that match you know ahead of time because uh, it was just such a build up and such a thing. And I remember they wrestled an hour draw that night. Uh, My goodness, what a what a classic match that was. Jay, you're right about that. That Blassie Tolos thing—they really built that up, and oh my in the magazines and everything. Yep. But those well, you know, you they know, did the same kind of—they they did the same kind of deal here in Atlanta. This is before my time, but but they did the same kind of deal with Blassie and Gunkel here in Atlanta. They had the same kind of series of matches. Um, of course, I don't know about magazine publicity. I wasn't reading them back then. I couldn't read, but. Uh, you know, I still don't read well, but it was, uh, uh, they did the same kind of thing. I can remember, 
I, I can remember after I started going to the matches, they had a, they had Gunkel scheduled to wrestle Blassie, and they shot an angle where Mario Galento jumped on Blassie before the match started and put him in the hangman hold, and Blassie was unable to wrestle. And I remember how upset my uncle was that uh, that he didn't get to see Blassie and Gunkel wrestle that night. Well, to be honest with you, I'm sure he didn't miss nothing. I'm sure. Oh, I know. <laughs> well, you know, in Atlanta, they had they had everybody believing Ray walked on water. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I remember when he first started, uh, you know, coming on television, when he was first introduced. I won't say I saw him the first time he was on, but within the first few times, and... Uh, Yes, he was uh, he was pushed hard from the very beginning. You know, I don't even think I've ever seen even seen video of Gunkel except maybe some of that eight millimeter stuff that Chuck Thornton had. There may have been some Gunkel stuff in that, but well, I was never in the ring with him. I, I mean, I saw him wrestle a lot of times. You know, going to the matches uh, coming up, but. Uh, as I look back on it, and, and as I think about it, and of course I'm, I may be totally wrong, he 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 to me he didn't look like that great a worker. Uh, you know, when you own the business, when you own the business, you can do what you want, but <laughs> he just he did not look that great to me. Well, I think once again we're looking at a guy past his prime, and uh, like you said, he owned the business and he didn't really have to, uh, but uh, he was still who he was, you know, and that's what people came to see. <clears throat> did you ever did you ever team with him or work with him, Jerry? I never did, Bobby. No. I know one night in Atlanta, he uh, uh, we was at the auditorium and he was on last, and so he asked me. He said, uh, "Are you hanging? Are you gonna hang around?" I said, "Oh, I said yes, sir. I said I'll be here." So, so he said, well, "I want you to hold my wallet for me." I said, "Okay." So I held his wallet. I put his wallet in my pocket and got through watching the matches, and I went and got my bag and left. I got, his, I got his wallet in my pocket. I'll go down there and get the keys out of my pocket, and I got his wallet. Well, I guess I made a beeline back up there. I didn't want that man to be <laughs> his wallet. I was going to have to get back up there. That could have been the end of your career very quickly, Jerry. <laughs> yeah, not just I made it career. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I, him, man. I guess so. What I remember about what I remember about him is that he didn't you know, as we all know, he didn't work on T V unless it was a build up to a big big deal. And uh he'd go months without working on T V. And uh I saw him a few times towards the end there, uh you know, working singles matches. But my remembrance of him primarily was as a tag team uh, wrestler working with Buddy Fuller. Mm-hmm. And what I've been told, they hated each other. <laughs> I mean, that'd be the I'm first thing. Sure. What, Jerry? Yeah, and I'm sure they did. Let, let me tell you something about Gunkel. Uh, he was a smart man. I mean, he was he was very very you know he was educated and he was he he was he he was sharp. I know, uh, I know. Bobby's heard this story from uh, Charlie Harvin. Harvin used to tell me they, you know, he he was unbelievable card player. 
And uh, Dickie told me when Gunkle uh, uh, was out in Texas, he just wanted to hang around so he could gamble. He was a heck of a gambler. And, and Charlie Harvin told me that they'd play cards there and that the uh, sports arena on Fridays, different businessmen would come in there, and that, you know, big gamblers. And they played gin, and, and Harvin told me, time everybody discarded one time, Gunko knew what everybody was holding. He said he'd wow. their service stations, their business, cars, everything, you know. <laughs> he, they he, had, he, uh, he was, he, he was a taskmaster. Charlie, Charlie Smith told me this, and, you know, when I was, he was still alive when I first started working for Harvin, but he was, you know, he would come in the office the whole demeanor of the office would change. I mean, it just, you know, everybody, like Jerry said, everybody was afraid of him. He, uh, he made Harbin, poor Charlie had gout. Now, later in my life, I developed gout. That is the worst pain I have ever been through in my life. Nothing helps it. it. Nothing helps it. You just hurt. You have to get it out of your system, and it takes several days. Uh Charlie Smith has told me that Gunkel has made Harbin go referee when his gout would flare up. He said, "Don't matter, you got a referee." It would make him go referee. Uh, Charlie has told me that, uh, and I think Charlie told me they got an extra fifteen dollars a week for working in the ticket office back then. Gunkel would call at nine o'clock every morning to make sure you were there, and no matter where you had to go at night, he would. You didn't close the ticket office till five o'clock. He would call about two minutes till five to make sure you were still there. He, he, he yeah, was, Charlie he Smith was, told uh, me he had to make some uh, really long trips sometime, and uh, that 5 o'clock deal made it really tough on him. Oh, yeah. Bobby, what station was that we wrestled at early on? WXIA, Channel 11, or WAII? It was Channel 11. Channel yeah. 11, okay. Yeah. Uh, I know uh, we did TV there, and uh, I don't know what had gone wrong with him and Eddie Smith. But I never, man, I, I couldn't believe, I mean, I was young, man. I, I couldn't believe that somebody would talk to somebody like that in front of all the guys. And, and he was tearing Eddie Smith up one side, down the other. He talked to him like he was a dog. And Eddie just stood there and took it like, I don't care what you say. Well, it, listen, I mean, him and Eddie were him and Eddie were like brothers. And they were uh, they could have been working the guys. Let me they tell you what they did. Now I, I wasn't there. Okay, this is just a story I've heard about. Eddie Smith had a blank pistol, and him and Gunkel worked out a deal <clears throat> where uh, Eddie had or Ray had some uh, had some flags like it goes on a boat, some ensigns, or you know what like you would right. put on a boat. So. They had worked this deal out, so Eddie is standing in the ticket office, and Ray walks in, and he's got these flags. And Harbin was in there, and I think, I don't remember if Charlie Smith was in there or not, George Farmer Powell, they was two or three guys in there. He walks in and starts showing the guys, he's looking at my new flags, and, and Eddie said, you SOB? He said, them ain't yours, them's mine. You you got them off my, my bag, my desk, whatever. And Uncle said, you full of crap. Said, this is my bag, blah, 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 blah. And they just went on at each other, and all of a sudden, and all the guys know Eddie's got this pistol in his back pocket. And they're telling Gunkle, they're trying to give Gunkle the office behind Eddie's back to calm down. 
And Eddie finally goes, you know, I'm really tired of this. I've took so much crap off you. I just ain't taking the more. He pulled that blank pistol out, and he shot two or three times, and Gunkel took a bump and rolled over on his stomach. <laughs> well, I'm glad he didn't do it at that, that TV station. I'd have seen that because that had been the last they'd seen of me. Let me tell you something. They said that office cleared out and said they went 14 different directions. <laughs> I can see that. So, you know, they could it could very well be. I, I don't know, but I heard they were like that all the time with each other. Well, it could have been a sham. I don't know, but I, I could not believe it. Hmm. Oh. Well, I told you, I, I, I told the story the night he died here in Savannah. Mr. Newman was sitting there talking to him, and that's when he had that heart attack while he was sitting there drying off. And said he, he just shot out of that chair, boom, you know. And, and yeah. you know, they called the EMTs and all this, blah 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 blah. So they 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 hauled him off. And, Mr. Newman was in there, and Eddie was in there, so Eddie went over there to raise sport coat and got his cigars out of his pocket. Mr. Newman said, Eddie, what are you doing? He said, hell, he don't need them. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> sorry, now I'm telling you. <laughs> well, I mean, he didn't, but... The king is dead. You know, dead. I don't know. You know, God love poor old... When Eddie passed away, me and Charlie went to the funeral... We were the only two people from the wrestling business there. That's sad. All the years you know, Eddie was around and all the matches he refereed. Drummond and... right didn't go to his funeral. No. No. That's, that's weird because they, they travel a lot together. Yep. Yep. I, I'm surprised at that. But, but you know, it was, you know, I, I've said this. And when he died, that changed everything. Oh yeah, they changed everything. Uh, you know, and it's uh, it's very weird, but uh, the chain reaction of Ray Gunkel passing away, uh, it actually made Georgia a bigger wrestling state. You know, it's just it's it, it Georgia was was a good wrestling area, uh, superior to Alabama. Nothing against the workers in Alabama, and I'm just talking about the. Uh, the level of the folks that would come in and out and, and, and coverage and that thing, uh, because everybody loved whatever their local wrestling was. But the out, the fallout of that put so much attention on Georgia and brought people in here that wouldn't have been here otherwise. Uh, it just completely com- changed the complexion. I mean, we talked well, about it all stuff. It turned Georgia into a breeding ground of vultures. Well, that, you know that's a that's a good point, Jerry. It did. Uh, I mean, honest to God, I mean it did. It was. I, I've never. Uh, it was. It. You know, whether it's going to be better or worse or whatever, uh, his death. It. It really wasn't the same anymore. It was more. It was. I don't know. It was. It, it's, it's hard to put your finger on it. It was. It was like. It was like mad hysteria. It was like, you know, who's, nobody knew who was what and who you're working for. And, right. You know, it, it was just, it was, it was, everybody was scrambling and you didn't know if you could have a job from one minute to the next. And it was just, it was just, I don't know. It, it just, 
I guess it was something supposed to be. I don't know. I, I don't. Well, know. you know, and Bobby, you know, with all the time you spent with Jim Barnett and 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 the things that he did here, you know, some people may say he he never would have been here had Ray not passed away. But I mean, Jim Barnett had his hand in so many areas of wrestling everywhere across the country and internationally that you know it's probability states that he may have ended up here anyway. Yeah, who knows. Who knows? I mean, you know, nobody knows what would have happened had he lived. But Jerry said something there, and, and, you know, I thought about this today. I remember when all of that went down. I remember Harbin calling me and telling me not to go to the TV station that Saturday and put the ring up. He said, just leave it alone. Don't go. And, you know, uh, all of a sudden something that I had, uh, you know, for years and years and years I worked, cut grass, did what I had to do to get enough money to get a ticket to go on Friday night. All of a sudden, they're paying me to usher it to order to them on Friday night. Harvard's paying me to put the TV ring up. I'm getting paid to sell programs and tear tickets in Griffin on Saturday night. I'm putting money in my pocket doing something I had been paying to watch my whole life. And not only that, I'm getting to know the guys, and they're getting to know me, and I'm getting I'm on, just on the fringe, but I'm there. And, yeah. and, I, and I feel like I'm making progress. And when, and when that happened, when he died, you're absolutely right, Jerry. I'm not sure what changed. I don't know what you can't put your finger on it, but it was but never it, the same. Well, I, I'm glad somebody else sensed that because it was it, it was like it, it was like you know like what's gonna what's gonna happen? I mean, you saw different faces, you you, you saw different people. You you heard this one, you heard that one. I mean, you just my gosh. I mean, it was I, I don't know. I I I I just. I Just the know. very atmosphere changed. Sure, it was like the, it was like the air you were breathing changed. That's, yeah, that's your comfort zone was gone. Yeah, your comfort zone, whatever it was. Yeah, it was gone. It was out there. even even though Ray was the way he was, it was the way it was, you know, and that's what it was. But when that happened, I mean, I come in there right, I think the next week or so, or whatever it was, and my God, it was just, and, and you know it. It just changed everything. It, it changed everything, and you know, for the better, maybe, or the worse. I, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. Well, but he, he, for the fan, he, he, he was a sharp man. You know, he he he, he was sharp. He he was he was he was very sharp. And, and you know, any any guy that owns a territory, uh, you know, you, you're a fool to run it. I mean, I mean, you, you're in charge, but. You bring in a book of it, you know that they know what they're doing. And uh, that was like when uh, Tim Woods went in the office and told Ray he wanted a piece of the territory, and that's when he told him, he, you're fired. That's when Tim was as hot as he'd ever been. You know, he's drawing money everywhere he went, but that's what that was. And, and then uh, they knew he was coming to, to talk with Ray, and then when he walks out, he just walks out. Tim walks out, and Uncle said, "So Leo said, how did it go?" He said, "I just fired him." He said, "Well, I got him working with with uh, uh, Kaninsky all the way around this week." He said, "That's your problem." So he calls Dicky down in Orlando, and they had him up here that night to go to Augusta, and he worked, you know, with him all around. So, you know, that's that's the way Ray was. You know, you wasn't gonna tell him how you was gonna, you know, what you were gonna do or not gonna do, and you got to respect him for that. But, you know, there, there was, you know, 
no matter how much money you're drawing for somebody, they put you in a position to do that. You know? Exactly right. And, and you know, you, you may think you'd be, you should be getting more money, but, you know, who doesn't? But he was making more money than he'd ever made, I'm sure. So, you know, right. that, that old saying, you cannot cut your nose off to spite your face. True. And, you know, one big payday doesn't make up for uh, a whole week of good paydays, you know, one one great payday. And some exactly. people just never understood that. They, you know, I mean, everybody thought they should have made more, but, you know, that's just human nature. But, you know, he, he was on top every night. Now, I, I'm, uh, what, what years was that? 60 what, Bobby? 65, 64, Six, like Yeah, somewhere in there. And, I'm, and here I'm again, I'm just a kid going to the matches, but buddy, he was right. he he was hot as a firecracker. I mean, I was I'd go to the matches there in Columbus, and I mean, my gosh, if he was on the card, it's just you know, it's just. And I I don't know what he was making back then, but I'm sure he was making as much as anybody ever made here, right? And probably more. Had to be. I mean, he, 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 let me tell you now, no matter how much money he drew, he was not a great worker. He looked the part. He was a good interviewer, and uh, but you know, Garibaldi made him. He was uh, as as a referee. I can attest to the fact that Tim was clumsy, and he would uh, beat you, you to death if you wasn't careful. <laughs> you, you ask anybody to work with him, but I mean, he drew money. So you, I, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I'm not knocking that. He, he did draw money, and, and people believed him, and, and and you know, he could take care of himself, and he was an impressive looking man, and. A, Super nice man. Yep. Tim was yep. just a, just a, you know, you, you, if you didn't like Tim Woods, there was something wrong with you, you know. Yeah. And uh, but uh, yeah, he he, but uh, you know Ray, you know Ray was strictly business, you know. You're not gonna come in well, and tell him what you can do. That's the way it is. Sometimes when you're, you know, when it's your business, uh, you have to make tough decisions, and uh, obviously that was one of them. It. Uh, you know, probably the long run didn't hurt either one of them. Probably was good for Dickey uh, that week, but uh, but uh, you know they all survived. They all you survived. know, I, I, I agree with you that you have to make tough decisions. You know, but knowing knowing around Ray no more than I was, but knowing people that were around him, that wasn't a tough decision for him when he if when Tim demanded part of the territory, that was a no brainer. Sure. You're right to him. That wasn't a tough decision. No, he wasn't gonna. He you, wasn't gonna you, go you for are that. Correct, but I mean, I, I I was around him enough to see how he operated. I mean, shit, I was scared to death of that man. <laughs> well, that's that's what you know. That's that unto itself is a mythology of uh, you know being in charge is is one way is to cause fear among the people who work for you. And, uh, well, we, when we, Dickie and I come up here from, uh, we came up here from Florida. We were supposed to go to Australia. I told that that fell through, so we wound up staying here. And he said, "Don't worry, I'll get us booked up there." And, you know, Tom was the booker, so anyhow, we we landed a gig here. We hadn't been here all that long, and so I, Dickie's in Augusta, and I'm in Waycross. So I'm gonna, Dickie's gonna drop me off at the Coliseum and make him. Soto is gonna pick me up. And I'm going to go to Waycross for Soto. He's going to drop me back off, and Dickie's going to come back to Augusta that night, pick me up, and we go back to Columbus. Well, we're leaving Columbus, and it's raining and storming, and 
Dickey's driving, and he runs us off the road out there on Macon Road, puts us in Bull Creek. Car filled up with water, total a car. So now, 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 I'm, there's no way we're gonna make it in time to, for me to be in Macon for to meet Soto. And so anyhow, I'm I'm bleeding. I thought I broke my nose. I'm pouring blood, and I hit the dash. And so Dicky. My sister and my, my first wife come out there and pick us up, called, told the cops to call them, you know, for a cell phone. So Dickie goes to the airport and he flies to Augusta. Well, I can't make Waycross now. They ain't got no plane going to Waycross. And the guarantee was uh, $25 then. So that was on a Monday and come around and get our paychecks next week. And he didn't, I didn't get paid for uh, Waycross. So Dickie goes to Gunkel and says, look, he said, you know, he said, I was driving, we got in a wreck, total a car, and blah, blah, blah. And he said, you know, Jerry didn't get paid. He said, he didn't make the town. That was his answer. You know, that was his answer. He didn't make the town. Got in a wreck, but he didn't, he wouldn't pay me 25 bucks. Mm. I, just, I didn't say nothing to him, of course. Yeah, of course not. You, you, you wanted your job. I wanted my job, and I, I, and I, I, you know, and that was the end of that, and I never thought any more about it, but I never forgot it either. I mean, what would that have hurt him to pay me for, at least I was trying to get to the town and then got in the wreck, you know? Yeah. Right. But uh, his uh, answer to sure. was he didn't, he didn't make the town, so. And there you go, but that's the way that was, but, you know, um, I don't know, he, 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 he was a smart man, and, and, um. Uh, when he had that, I, how much did Fuller have when he was Fuller was here? Does anybody know you know Bobby? Did you ever hear? Uh, who Ray? No, I'm not. Are, are you talking about Fuller? Yeah, I'm not sure. I know you know Mike? I've read it. Ray had had the majority of it. Um, I'm sure of that. I think he had like fifty-one percent or something, and uh, Paul Jones had a bite of it. Uh, Buddy had a bite of it. Eddie Graham had a piece of it. Um, and of course, when when Ray died, Buddy traded his uh, stock in Georgia to Lester Welch. Welch's stock in Florida, and they just reversed. Buddy went to Tampa, and uh, Lester came up here, and then Eddie Graham still had his piece of it. And uh, I don't know. I, I would imagine the Georgia office was much like the Florida office. Eddie Graham sold a hundred and forty percent of uh, of his office to people. He took everybody that had ten percent of that office. Like selling shares on stockholders, you know. Yep. Uh, <laughs> it was, it, without a doubt, it was one of the craziest businesses that you could ever been around. It was, it was, uh, it was a fascinating thing, you know. Uh, and, and there were, there were, there were a lot of, a lot of good promoters, you know, uh, you know that. That did the right thing and paid well, and 
you know. And uh, I, I never understood why, if, if you know, people that had great territories let them get away from them. You know, I always yeah. thought that Ohio would have been a territory like Georgia, except maybe even better. I'm talking about in the day. I, I, yeah. I think Al Half used to run it. Yeah, when Al Half had it, it was it was pretty hot, but it just, you know, I mean, so many people came in and took bites of it. If you think yeah. of the towns you had, like Cincinnati, Columbus, uh, uh, Toledo, uh, uh, Dayton, Akron, I mean, you just sure. had towns there, man. It was it would have been unbelievable. You could live in the center of that state. You'd have had short trips. And I, I, I know in my day, uh, I don't even think it was a territory. I don't yeah, even know who was running anything in there. I don't know if it was. No. was or... Sheik had, Sheik had uh, Columbus. Uh, Pedro Martinez had Cleveland. Uh, Sheik had Toledo. Cincinnati was the Sheik. Like uh, different people. When Johnny Powers uh, had control or appeared to have control, from what I read, uh, they came fairly close to, for a while there, of having a kind of centralized promotion. And we're getting a lot of publicity, and guys were coming in and out, but it didn't last too long. But if you had somebody there, I mean, how long did Al Half have it? Did he have it? From probably the 40s through the early 60s. See, Buddy Rogers Rogers tried to run when Al Half kind of shut the doors, his doors. um, Buddy Rogers tried to run in there. Him and uh, uh, Bobby Davis tried to run a territory. And... uh, Somebody tried to run it in the late 60s, early 70s with guys like, uh, you know, their, their their lead heel was Guillotine Gordon, if that tells you how well, that went. Good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I always pictured that place as being a gold mine. Yeah, I agree with you. It should have well, been. Geez, you think about the days in the, in the early 50s when you had – Guys like uh, Roy Shy there, uh, Art Nelson, uh, Stan Stan Nelson, uh, Don Don Stevens and Ray Stevens, which is you know the Fargo uh, Don Fargo and Ray Stevens. Uh, Buddy Rogers was there. Uh, Bill Melby, guys like guys like that. That was all under Al Half, and uh, you know, and uh, he kind of tied in with. Uh, Billy Wolf, who had the had control of, of women's wrestling, and, and Billy Wolf set up his operation in Columbus, Ohio, and used Al's uh, uh, gym there um, as his training center. And you, Bill Miller. Bill Miller was another big star Bill there. Bill Miller was, yeah, he, yeah, he, he wrestled at Ohio State. Yep. But, but, I mean, half had to have made money there, right? Oh, yeah. I can't. I, I just having finished that that uh, NWA book. I can't remember how he got kind of wedged out. But by the early '60s, he was kind of, uh, you know, uh, Barnett and uh, Doyle ran uh, were trying to run opposition to him when they had Indianapolis, <clears throat> and then uh, um, I can't remember who had uh, Harry Light had Detroit before Farhead bought him out. 
Well, you and, know that in anything in the wrestling business until you went to, to Detroit and worked with a sheep. That's all I'm <laughs> Well, you know, I think that's part of the problem, Jerry, is a, a lot of the guys that owned an area, they, they were in it just for the minute. I mean, you know, for whatever they were going to make that night and screw the fans and let's see what kind of how much money I can make and really not put it into a promotion to think about, you know, long-term operation. And uh, the fans really never developed a, a base there because uh, it, it it was there one day and then, then somebody else was running it the next day and it was just, a, you know, kind of like a traveling road show. But it was like the, the, the deal in Detroit. I, I, I know at one time the Sheik and Bobo and whoever else he was working with, they drew tons of money there. I, I know that. Yes. But, you know, you cannot work in a territory for 30 years. I don't care who you are. Not in the you ring. You can't do it. That's what I'm talking well, about. Well, that kind of ties into what, what I was saying about matches you read about or, you know, and I always wanted to see. Well, matches I always read about but never wanted to see was the Sheik and Bobo Brazil. I just had no desire whatsoever to see no, the two of those, of those two work. And like you talked about Tolis and Blassie, I worked with John Tolis. John was a great guy, but uh, John did his thing, and that was it. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't any stuff you saw in Georgia or Florida, believe me. You know, no, it, it, it wasn't. But, well, some, sometimes two people, two guys working together, can just make magic, you know, and the and it's just the build up, and people want to see it, and you know. Uh, working with other people is just not quite the same, and and I, it, you know, it, and you can walk away from it and say, "Gee, I was really expecting something other than what I saw, but I saw it, whatever it was." Well, another, another thing about the Ohio thing, when Detroit started going south, you know, one time Detroit, you know, they were making good money up there. That territory exactly. had they had a lot of talent yeah. in there, and they were they were making money. Well, when that started going south. Uh, the Sheik went south too. He started promoting in Ohio, and he started yep. promoting in West Virginia, and and he killed it dead as four o'clock because what he would do, sure. he would advertise, he would advertise people that he knew he didn't have booked, trying to draw a house, and then these people would pay their good hard-earned money to go see this this match or this show, and uh, you know that that I had all these no shows. Well, they're not there. They're not there. Um, Right. They're not when we back uh, when we ran the first show in Columbus, Ohio, uh, we were the the build the Ohio Center opened up on the weekend. We were there Saturday night. They had a country western show. They had Conway, Twitty, Jerry Lee Lewis, and somebody else, and they drew about a half a house. We ran Sunday night, and we sold out in 13 minutes after the tickets went on sale. I mean, just people went absolutely crazy. And uh, uh, we turned his, I don't know how many we turned away. We turned a bunch of folks away that night. We couldn't get them in there. But uh, uh, didn't have any problem in the big cities. Once we once we started expanding and running the other towns, every one of those towns you mentioned, Jerry Drew, Dayton, Cincinnati, uh, Cleveland. Uh, we ran some smaller towns, Zanesville, uh God, I can't think of all of them off the top of my head. But we expanded. We ran. Uh, we ran West Virginia. We only ran. We ran uh, the two major towns we ran over there were Charleston and uh, and uh, uh, Huntington. Yeah, we did. You know, everything. Everything did well up there for a while. You know, I mean, it finally balanced out. But you know, for a while, we just 
all we had to do was, was say we were coming and we were drawing money. It didn't matter who we put up there. And uh, but th- those those people were wrestling starved up there. Yeah, they, and when they, you, they, they it, were hungry for it. They, they, yes, they, they were. And when you when you when you advertised somebody and they legitimately showed up and they knew you were going to be there, they came out. Well, they felt like they got their money's worth, you know, and yeah. that's what brings them back. The first night we did the joint promotion with the Sheik in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Ole, Kevin Sullivan, Mr. Saito, and myself were there. And all I was there for was to help take care of the town. And I had to actually put on, I had a blazer that had a Georgia Championship Wrestling patch on it. I actually had to put that blazer on and go outside and stand. Because people were coming up, and they were all asking the same question. Are these people really going to be here? And that was... Once they figured out we were, that's a sad thing. You know, like sure it is. The sheep would run these towns and put like whoever, you know, just whoever's name was somebody yeah. hot and famous, and knowing they're not going to be there. I mean, where where's the logic in that? How in the world do you think you can come back again? And, and I mean, it's to draw one house. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I think that was it. He wasn't worried about coming back again. You know. And if he got away with it, then he might think about it. That's that's mind-boggling to me. That, 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 and you know, we were, t- and you know, I know you've heard this term, Jerry. We were told, we were told, or we were taught from the from the beginning of uh, first learning the the lingo of the wrestling business. You do not hot shot a town because you mm-hmm. always want to come back. That, that's that, that's you know you're exactly right. I, 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 I that just boggles my mind. I mean, you know, let's just say you did, and you had a heck of a house, and all these people didn't show up. Well, you're done. You're yeah. done. Nobody I believes you it. anymore. I, I don't get it. I, I, I don't care who did it or who wanted to do it. Or I wouldn't want to be any part of that. I'll, I'll and, you know, you there that. are times, just like you had a car wreck, there are times a guy's going to miss a plane. There's times that a flight's going to get canceled. There's legitimate reasons sometimes that a guy cannot show up. But if that happens, if you're any kind of promoter, right at the get-go, right at the beginning of the night, you go, ladies and gentlemen, this has happened. He's not going to be here. If you want your money back, go get it. Because then the people at least respect the fact That's that right. you're being honest with them. And and most of the time they won't go get the money back. They'll right. you know unless it happens time after time after time. Right. That makes sense. You know the night we shot the angle with Dusty Jay, you were the announcer. How many times did we tell people he wasn't there? Yeah. You know, go get your <laughs> right. money if you want it. <laughs> they didn't go home. No, nobody did. You know, and I think that's another element of it. Uh, if that doesn't happen often, plus if you've got a good card and you've got loyal fans, they will accept the idea that, you know, okay, for whatever reason, that person's not going to be here tonight. Now, if, if uh, you know, and uh, you, you can you can get by with it, particularly if the fans are used to, uh, you know, feeling that you're you're not screwing them. And uh, so, you know, I think that had we, we during that time period, we had that going for us, you know, that the, the fans felt that way about what they were seeing there at the Omni and at the auditorium. Right. 
Uh, Mike, uh, Dennis Mitchell's been holding for a good while, so why don't we see what's uh, going on in Alabama? All righty. Dennis, you there? Hey, De- yes, sir. How are y'all doing today? Hope that all y'all have a good, happy fourth and all. Thanks, well, sir. Thank you very much, Dennis. I, I tell you, guys, I'm enjoying the show tonight. Y'all talk about the chic and his shenanigans and all that in the old days <laughs> of pro wrestling and all. I was going to ask you, other than the chic, all y'all's experiences, other than the Sheik, who was the most unscrupulous promoter that y'all ever dealt with individually? <laughs> Some guy named Oates ran Columbus there for a while. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 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 That's a good question. Uh, I can only say for the people I work for, the Sheik, I know he come in there when we was at Cobo Arena. And uh, I was going up there on a regular basis. <laughs> Somebody come running down and said, got the sheep, told him something, blah, 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 like that. And all of a sudden he said, yeah, the box office has been robbed. <laughs> uh-uh, <really. laughs> I mean, come on, man. Well, I got my money anyhow. And, but, you know, I... Uh, to answer your question, he was probably the shiftiest guy I worked for. I mean, just, I don't know. I, and for a guy that made that much money to turn it into what he did, I, you know, he should have got out of the ring years ago and or just worked once in a while at him and something. But he still wanted to work. He worked every time I was there. So, And I worked on the first card, wrestling card, they had in Joe Lewis Arena there. It was me and him Damn. on top. That that was a fight. You and who, Jerry? The Sheik. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Uh, but Mike, you well, watched some of the last days over there in Alabama, uh, you know, during the kind of the, the closeout era there where uh, did did you see things happen there that uh, that – that well, seemed I mean, to the only not as far as working for Fuller. Uh, Fuller was was very good, paid paid uh, decently. Bob Armstrong was the booker there, and I had you know, and he was a good booker and took care of people, and you know was fair. Uh, now some of those outlaw groups I worked with, Uh-oh. that guy that uh, that guy that ran. Uh, uh, Fayette, Alabama, his name was Charles something or other. They called himself the Commoter. Um, and that's that's an honest to God truth. That's the way that's what he he went around telling everybody, put his thumbs in his lapels of his jacket, I'm the commoter here. And I thought, well that fits you being a commoter because this you know, this this promotion is the absolute drizzling shit, so you know. Man oh man, I I tell you something else too, guys. Uh I gotta ask y'all too. Of all the y'all was talking about matches that as fans of wrestling, when y'all got in the wrestling business, that y'all never got to see. Was there any wrestlers that you wanted to see in action, in person, as a fan or a wrestler, that you really never had a chance to see? Especially this pertains to Bobby Simmons and Curios. Was there a wrestler that you want to wrestle or be involved in the angle or? Somehow it didn't work out at the end. Somehow it got changed. 
No, I can't. You know, for the guys in my era, you know, I got to work with just about every guy that I ever wanted to work with, you know, the, the Briscoes, the Funks, uh, even worked with Bachwinkle, I worked with Lucez, uh, you know, I, you know, I can't say there's anybody that that I miss that I wish I had of. You know, I, w- I was blessed in that area, so I That's can't good. actually say. Well, Jerry's being modest. Jerry's being modest. Jerry wanted to work a, a uh, uh, an angle and for the Brass Knuckles Championship and wrestle with uh, Moose Cholock for that. that <laughs> And then the, then Hans the Smith is a special here. referee. <laughs> yeah. The winner is Hans Smith. <laughs> you know, I, I thought y'all was going to say, but I yeah. should have done to uh, Hans Smith what what uh, uh, what was his name did to me, uh, Frank. Uh, Frank Hickey. Hickey. Yeah. Yes, that's smart to the business. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I tell you, oh, I man. thought one, I thought run wrestler, I would have said in brass knuckles would have been Buck Robley. Buck was a good worker. Yeah, I thought he was a good. He booked Alabama in '82 when Bob Armstrong went off the deep end as a bad guy. That's when yeah. he booked. I thought Buck did a good job booking in Alabama back then, in my opinion. Buck and was a good yeah, he. He was, man. He didn't get the credit he deserved, in my opinion. He was a good booker and and all that. And, Jerry, I got to ask you a question, man. I don't know. If, I know you are got heat with him. He's from Columbus, Georgia, too. I got to ask you something. What would you ever do if you ever bump into Eddie Mansfield? <laughs> Turn around and go the other way. <laughs> That's all you could do. That's all you, he, he, he tried to get me involved in all that crap. He, uh, you know, I told him I didn't want to be part of it. I, 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 all I can tell you is I didn't break him into the business, and I'm glad I didn't. Yeah. Well, I guess it's one of those things, man. I tell you, you can't ever tell what happens in a few years with one wrestler and how he turns out, you know, but I guess it's one of those things, man. Yeah, y'all probably never saw that coming that Eddie Mansfield would actually do the interview twenty twenty. Y'all probably was pretty much blindsided when that happened. Well, I wasn't blindsided. I was aware of the whole thing before it took place. Uh, but uh, I think that you know they Eddie and Jim uh, Jim both hurt themselves badly by the caliber of the what they did on television they weren't able to back up what they were you know proposing and it it really made them look bad and it cer- certainly didn't help the business but uh, uh people either believed or they didn't believe you know that was the way i always saw it but uh, uh jim and, and eddie uh didn't didn't help themselves by the appearance on 2020 well, it's, and the fact that neither one of them, most people seeing that, you know, casual fans, had never heard of either one of them, because neither one of them were, you know, uh, you know, anything major names in the business. Uh, 
you know, especially Eddie was was a little bit higher up the food chain than Jim Wilson ever made. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, and, but then Eddie was never more than mid card, you know, in in actuality, now in his mind, he was more than that, but, uh, yeah, oh, absolutely. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that, uh, Jim Wilson had had himself convinced that Barnett promised him that he was going to be the world champion, you know, but anybody he that, that ever saw, so much he believed it. Yeah. I mean, anybody who ever saw. Jim Wilson work a match knew right away that that and nobody 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 in their right mind other than Charles the Commoter in uh, in uh, Fayette Alabama would have even considered him a decent worker. Yeah. Enough to and uh, well, Jim's uh, Jim's lawyer during one of the last lawsuits that Jim was involved in with uh, Jim Wilson with Jim Barnett. Jim's. Uh, lawyer was out here at my house, and and he was trying to get a feel for where exactly I was in the IQ business. And uh, he said, uh, you know, I've been looking at some films of Jim and the things that they did on 2020. He said, uh, uh, has Jim's ability deteriorated over the years? And You know, and I tried to be as nice about it as I could. And uh, I said, well, certainly it's been many years since he, he worked, and uh, he's a lot older, and he's got a lot of injuries. Uh, I said, but, but you know, most people feel that they have more ability than they actually have. And the, the, the lawyer knew what I, what I meant, and because of that, he never really pushed that angle anymore in, in the lawsuits. He went for it from yeah. the prevention of uh, right to work, you know, which was always pushed very heavily prevention of, uh, you know, being allowed to promote, trying to keep them from doing that and that sort of thing, which was yeah, the way okay. to do it. Yeah. I want to ask Bobby this, too. When Bobby worked in the Georgia office and all, I was kind of curious. He was a good British wrestler. He wrestled in Alabama. He wrestled with Jerry in Portland. Why wasn't there ever effort to try to book Johnny Eagles into the Georgia territory that you know of? Who, who Not that I know of. He worked here. I mean, he, he may did. have, but he was never here while I was in the office. He worked didn't, here. Really, I was, did, didn't Johnny Eagles work here a little bit when they used some of the guys from uh, from the Nashville area to come down here for some reason? Uh, I, I can remember that happening during a certain period of time that uh, several of the guys came down here and worked uh, for, a sh- for a short period. And I can't remember if it was just during All South or if it was a little later than that or, or what, but I thought Johnny Eagles during that time period did make a few shots here. He did. He worked Probably for, did. Uh, it wasn't long, but he did work here. Yeah, and that may be why you don't remember it, Bobby. Yeah, it yeah. could have been during the Gunkle run. Yeah, I think it was, yeah, Bobby. I think it was. That's that's interesting, guys. Y'all, I want y'all have a happy fourth, and don't forget the third of Sunday is my birthday. Yeah, have a good night. Keep oh, up yeah, I work. was going to say you. that, that Thank your you. birthday is oh. coming up. So Happy birthday, Appreciate my friend. Happy birthday, Dennis. Thank Thanks you. for calling in. Have a, have a good fourth, guys. Bye. Thanks, man. You too. Jerry, did you ever – speaking of Wilson, there was another guy that came along, and he was he was slightly better, uh, a slightly better worker than uh, Wilson. He worked in Florida and he worked in Tennessee. I don't know if he ever passed through Georgia or not. A guy by the name of Ron Mikulovic. I do not know that name, Mike. Me either. 
I can't remember who he played for. He was he was he came along in the mid seventies, but he was he was about like uh, about like Wilson. He was a former football player, and you know the main thing was uh, his biggest move was uh, brushing his hair out of his eyes. That name doesn't even ring a bell with me. Well, we had a guy that worked with us at All South named Ron Pritchard. Ron played for the Cincinnati Bengals. Ron Ron was a pretty good worker. Ron was a good worker, yeah. He was a very good worker. He had the looks and the physique, and uh, the the young girls liked him. And, uh, you know, he seemed to have a a on-camera personality as a babyface young guy that, you know, was uh, looked up to the – the older baby faces, and and uh, he 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 seemed to do real well at the time. Yeah, I don't uh, know. I mean, I, I don't. That, uh, he worked for the Sheik, and there was a guy by the name, another football player, uh, played for. I think he played for Cleveland. Uh, Walter Johnson worked Walter, for the Sheik, and I did think you ever meet Walter? No. <laughs> Walter was punch drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you what I know. Will <laughs> Walter, I felt sorry for the man. He might have played without a helmet. That's know. what I was going to say. <laughs> That's what I was going to say, Jerry. Had he taken too many hits? Do what? Yeah, too, wait, Had he too taken many. too many hits? Yeah, he 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 might have been the first one to come up with whatever they say and they got now. I don't know. But it, it, he and Pritchard, they booked booked them in a lot of uh, football matches, you know, where they they get in the ring with shoulder pads and helmets on. And, and oh, jeez. Yeah, uh, that was my problem with football players. They always tried to make the football player look tougher than a wrestler, and I never understood they that. Did. They did. I never I, I understood that, that. I thought that was wrong as rain, man. That was. It. Yeah, that was a big build-up. This guy's going to be an enforcer when he comes in here because he's a former uh, pro football player. You know who was the worst of all that was Bill Watts. Bill Watts absolutely loved a football player, and he'd push him to the moon. He would do that. And, you know, he'd have Jim Ross. That's all they talk about is this guy's football career. And, this, you know, Look in the ring. There's no 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 stripes in the ring. There's no yard no yardage in the ring. You know, it's a whole you know, different they, thing. It, it's you know you. It's funny how different territories did different things. You know. You talking about Walter though? You know, in the dying days of uh, of Mike LaBelle's L.A. promotion, and I don't know if, if Tom. Ernesto was booking out there at, or at the time or not, but but uh, Walter Johnson was was on top out there. He was there, America's champion. Oh, well, I would like to have seen that. See if yep, you get some for me. I think I may have some. I'm, I'm serious. I think I yeah, do. Well, well, I think Scott Teal's got, got it now. You but gotta I... get that to you got to get that to me. <laughs> Yeah, Walter John. Well, we, here's who they had in those days. Though they had Walter Johnson. Uh, the Guerreros were in and out between Armando, uh, Chavo, and, and Hector. They were all in and out. Roddy Piper was there. Uh, I was um, with Piper when I come through there. Now let me tell you who could work. A Chavo Guerrero could work. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm telling you what I know. I was in Japan with him. That joke could work. All of them them could work. work. Yeah, they could work. All three of them could do. He could work. He did some beautiful stuff, man, I'm, I'm telling you. Let's see who else during Walter. I think Victor Rivera was out there. He was on his last legs. He was about 50 years old. Victor Rivera, uh, Victor Rivera almost got killed in Japan. Really? On the bus. Y'all never heard that story? No, uh-uh. Gary, tell us. This could be my last story of the night. I wasn't on that tour. Victor, <laughs> Victor Rivera was on, on, on this tour. Stan Hansen was there. Stan told me about it. He kept running his mouth about the Japs, the Japs this, the Japs that, the, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, you know, it, it was an honor to get to go. You know, you didn't have to go. It was an honor to go, you know, and then plus the money. So, you know, right, 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 right. So Stan kept telling me, be quiet. So Joel Gucci rode that bus with us. I don't know if y'all know Joel, who Joel oh, Gucci yeah. was. He, Joel wasn't a big guy, but... Joe was on that bus for a reason, to keep the American boys straight. We had our own bus. So he kept on and on and on. Well, Stan said Joe got up, had enough. What a nicer man on earth than Joe Gucci. He got up, and they say he damn near killed Victor Rivera right there on that bus. <laughs> Stan said he beat him on one. Joe was a judo, judo man, you know. Joe was tough. Joe was a uh, was an Olympic wrestler too, wasn't he? Wasn't he like a lightweight? Uh, either that, either the wrestling or, or judo. I knew Might he had a he way. had a background, Olympic background. Yeah, he wasn't no. He like Stan said, he said he's on that this bus for a reason. And I used to take him like uh, every time I go, I take him. Four sleeves of Copenhagen. and I'd bring him forty cans every trip. I brought his I, I bought his son a pair of cowboy boots. He said Greg Brown Greg was on a tour. I got Greg booked over there and Greg said, Tell Jerry any kind of boots will do. Boy running me crazy about cowboy boots. <laughs> so I bought him a pair of Tony Lama and gave him to him. He he, he was a good man. He, he but, yeah, Victor Rivera. I never met Victor Rivera. Uh, I don't even know what kind of worker he was. I guess he was all right. Oh, he was very good in the 60s and the, in the early part of the 70s. But, you know, he uh, – I think he had uh, some substance abuse problems, too, along the way. And he's by the, by the end of the 70s, when he was – did his last run as a heel in New York, and then wound up back in California. He was, he could barely move. He was way overweight and everything. And uh, I, I don't know if it was around that time frame or not, but they had a guy. Their their main heel out there was a guy uh, dressed as the Frankenstein's monster. I could see that. It was a guy by the name of Jesse Hernandez. <laughs> And they dressed him up. They put him. They they had him in built-up shoes and everything. And he came out dressed like the Frankenstein monster. I heard Larry Hanimi did a uh, gimmick like that too at uh, some point. Yeah, Lars and Anderson. They, they, he was the he was the bionic man. I yeah. can see that. They had a guy sit at ringside that was his manager with a box that lit up.
you know, had flashing lights on it. And whenever, you whenever Lars, you, you know, you don't think that was drug induced, do you? I mean, that's <laughs> that's I think that he was, he was the bionic man last time I seen him. Uh, Pavlov's dog thing when he hit that switch, no telling what yep. he was being told he was going to get. Yeah, I mean that's what uh, that's you know that's how he made his comeback. He'd be you know getting him beat down, and then the guy'd go to fiddling with that box, and it'd light up, and he'd make his comeback. Yeah, that's that was what one I of the a box. <laughs> I could still be working if I had a box. <laughs> <laughs> one of y'all could work the box for me. <laughs> hey, you know, don't yeah, say that too loud, Jerry. Somebody might think of a way to do that. You know. <laughs> But guys, I gotta go. I got a long weekend this weekend. I've been off for two Jerry, days. All right, man. Always, you have a good fourth, man. Be careful. Y'all, Always y'all good to, to hear from you. Thanks. Me, uh, all right, y'all be good, guys. Enjoy. Good night. All right, Bye-bye. take care. Yeah, there was uh, that was some crazy stuff out there around that time frame with the the Bionic Man and the Frankenstein. Monster. That was that was some Tennessee booking all the way out there. Yeah, that uh, got a one of the. Wrestling Observer, big G or thumbs down is uh, one of the all-time worst things to, uh, you know, to promote with wrestling in order to uh, kill credibility all the way, you know, was to pull that kind of stuff. And then they had, you know, various times there were guys that would be builders of the mummy that would be wrapped up in, in uh, you know, bandages and whatnot. Well, the original mummy... Um... Oh, what was his name? Benny, um, it'll come to me tomorrow about 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, but he was actually a good worker. He was, he was, he was a very good worker. And, but it's just that, that, that gimmick got over so well, especially in Texas, I guess, because of the, the, the Latin fans out there. Is it Ramirez? Really got over. Benny Ramirez. There you go. Thank you. Um, thank you, Bobby. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to, I'm, you know, my mind don't work good either. But it's the fact that it got over so well that, that every territory started, you know, doing one, but they didn't put the time in to have that, that true outfit like Benny had. You know, and Bill Bowman had to be the mummy in Mobile, and, and you know, they used uh, a half a dozen different people in Tennessee as the mummy. Yeah. You know, and... They brought... Uh, they brought it. They brought, if I'm not mistaken, they brought Ramirez in here. And here again, Charlie told me this. Charlie was working in the ticket office, and uh, Ramirez is, of course, is Latino uh, of Spanish descent, and he was very dark complected. And this is in the 50s, late 50s, early 60s, when segregation was still a very uh, real thing here. Yes. He said when he walked, he said when he walked to the office, Charlie said he walked back there and told. Told Harbin and, and them, you know, they need to come out there. And they said, Charlie said $100. I turned and told the guy to go back to Texas. They couldn't use it. <laughs> mm. You know, I imagine that, you know, you, you want to make a living in the business that you're in. But I can imagine for uh, a lot of guys that thought they had ability and did have ability and credibility. Uh, for to come in and a promoter to want to put a gimmick on like that, gimmick on them like that, uh, it must have been difficult for some to swallow from time to time. If I'm not mistaken, well, Jimmy Jimmy Powell did the thing when he was about 15 years old in Tennessee. 
because his daddy wasn't old enough to drive. His dad had to drive the ring truck or the truck pulling the trailer with the ring on it. And if I'm not mistaken, and I may be wrong, but if I'm not mistaken, uh, they had a casket or something that they hauled on the ring trailer that, that, you know, of course, the mummy got in and got out of or whatever. Wow. My God. There was a there was a uh, promotion in the seventies out of South America somewhere, it, and I can't remember. It was uh, Titans El Giante or something like that was the name of it, and they had all kind. They had the the absolute silliest gimmick, the invisible wrestler. Guys, guys would go out there and throw themselves all over the ring and put over an invisible man that wasn't even there. Well, you know, that would be great for a promoter because he wouldn't have to pay the opponent. You know? Yeah, that sounds like <laughs> I can hear Nick Gulas telling the invisible man, well, have you farting through silk, boy? You stick with me. Oh, jeez. <laughs> People must have bought it. <laughs> I but guess they that's, had no all worse, kind of... that's no worse than putting a dead alligator over. Well, at least you can see the alligator. You can't see the invisible wrestler. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. But, we uh... missed that on our gimmick show last week, didn't we? <laughs> gimmick show number two. Oh. oh, man. But, you know, you have to think about it. Uh, I guess you know whatever that to me is was the danger of you know putting profit and I, we were all in the business to make money, but still, yeah. still you know you had to have a little pride in in trying to present it as as what we were trying to sell it as back in those days and stuff like that just just you know killed anything you were trying to do. Sure, I could see Lou. I could see Lou Fez going down to to, to work Brazil somewhere, and this the promote, Booker calling him in. Look, you working with the uh, the Invisible Wrestler tonight, <laughs> and, and we want you, we want you to, to to go Broadway with him or put him over. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. When you were trying to build credibility for the business, you could see situations like that, and it was enough to make you just throw your hands up and say, "Forget it. There's no way you can." You know, I'm. I'm, I'm done everything I can to try to, you know, make professional wrestling look more like a professional business, and this is not not getting it done. Well, I'm sitting here thinking, and, I, and I'm coming up through the time I started going to the matches, and, you know, you know, even, I think one of the things here in, in, in Georgia, and Jay, you may, you may, you'll pull a name off the top of your head that, that, that blows this theory out of the water. But even the gimmicks that we had were wrestling based. There was nothing. We never. I never saw a mummy or a no. or a Frankenstein or a Superman no. or a Batman. No. I mean, no, we had the scuffling hillbillies. Yeah. We had. Uh, you, you had haystack and guys. You like had that, haystack. Yeah. You had Andre. Yeah. You had the medics. Uh, you had the infernos with J.C. Dykes. You had, you had Adrian. Sandy you had Adrian <laughs> You know, yeah, Adrian Adonis. For, well, you know. <laughs> You know, first time he came through, he was Keith Frank, and he was semi, right. you know, semi. Uh, well, even even as Adrian Adonis, I mean, other than the name, he was pretty much a straight worker. Yeah, 
no pun intended as his later gimmick, but no. yeah. until his, he was everything until but his a later, worker. Until right. his later but, days. But he didn't, that was, you know, that was all, you know, Vince's silliness. And and that's and, you know uh, that's one of the guys you got to feel you got to feel sorry for. Uh, he got into some things he shouldn't have. He let his weight balloon, uh, and there just didn't seem to be. Even though he did take some of it off later on, uh, it 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 really was a sad situation. Yeah, yeah, because Adrian was a, well, he was a, a great worker. Even even when, when he, he was starting to gain weight, you know, he was a lot like. Uh, Another one that, that fell in that category, even though he never worked in, in Georgia, was, was Buddy Rose, Paul Pershman. You know, his weight ballooned, too, after he got out there in Portland and, and homesteaded out there. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, he pretty much that was his home base, and he was on top, and he just, you know, quit quit putting the effort in as far as trying to keep up his appearance. But, Still, even when he was, they were both over 300 pounds, they were good workers, and they were taking Ray Stevens-type, you know, bumps, even at that weight. Only, you can only do that for a while. I remember, yeah, you're right, Bobby. I remember when Adrian Adonis first, first came to Atlanta and uh, as Keith Franks, and, and, uh, and uh, you know, I, I certainly didn't see him coming to the end the way he did. No. But, yeah, but you're just, right. I we, never we saw any. The, we didn't have that kind of stuff here. I mean, it just it never happened. No, I mean, you know, and mask wrestlers were were one of the you know primary things that you would see in wrestling. So yeah. I don't think there was anything there with any mask wrestler that uh, ever you know seemed all that way out. Yeah, uh, no, it and, wasn't. It wasn't gimmicky. And and people I mean, loved them. Yeah. People loved them. You know. And uh, they loved them for different reasons, but, you know, they wanted to see the heel mask guy unmask, and they wanted to see the baby face mask guy not lose his mask. Uh, as as fans started to get a little smarter and they understood a little bit more about the philosophy, uh, they could, you know, they could watch the technique and see when it was going to happen and when, when things weren't going to happen. There were very, very few surprises, I think, about when a mask guy was going to lose his mask and when he wasn't. Uh, but uh, they were always part a part of the business, a big part of the business, and uh, I don't think anybody ever, you know, thought that it 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 cheapened the business seeing mask wrestlers. No, not at all, not at all. I mean, like Chuck Thornton said at our get together, that's what what drew him. You know, was was the mask guys. You know, gained his initial attention. Right, and I I dare anybody to think you know listen to um, Jody and Tom give an interview and watch them work and and say that they weren't anything but gimmicks. Yeah. Well, so, you know, and the and the fans even after mass wrestlers would be unmasked and they'd leave and they'd come back. Uh, if if they had you know if the fans loved them as heels or they loved them as baby faces. They didn't have any problem seeing them put the mask back on. You know, it didn't it didn't bother them that they had unmasked somewhere. They, in many cases, it was a nostalgia thing. They they'd rather see them in the mask. Yeah. Well, I just, I just uh, I was trying to think. 
I can't remember, and he was only here one time, but, uh, you know, an, an outlandish gimmick was uh, they brought uh, they brought Sam Shepard in here for one appearance. Right. <laughs> you know. He was making a tour with his manager, the guy that he had uh, known for a long time, I guess. I, I forget what the name, guy's name was. George and, Strickland. Uh, he was actually, yeah. he was actually his, his father-in-law. Yeah, and uh, they were they they did a national tour. I was not uh, I was working a, a music gig that night, and uh, I, I I didn't get to see it. But my father and my mother were there, and my mother was, uh, you know, she'd always get really worked up, but uh, uh, she didn't much care for it. Well, he, he, was, he, was he had that gimmick. He had that gimmick where he'd put his thumb into the guy's mouth, and that was some kind of nerve hole he had, supposedly yeah. that that would uh, put him out. Yeah. Well, well, the thing about even, even that, you know, and I know that, that, you know, they were using him for publicity because of his, you know, his notoriety and everything. But the thing about it was, and even though he was not a good worker at all, professionally, he did have a wrestling background. He wrestled in college. Yeah. Uh, George Reeves was looking at doing a professional wrestling booking tour, uh, after the jobs drew up after Superman, before uh, you know, uh, before he he died. However, he died. Some say he took his own life. Others say the mob put him out. Yeah. Yeah, he would have been a good, he would have been good. He was, uh, you know, he'd stand there and let bullets bounce off of him if he threw something <laughs> at him. Tough. Of course, I love that show. I was a kid, a kid, man. I couldn't wait for that to come on. Yeah, faster than a speeding bullet. Yep, yep. I even have some of the old radio shows there. They were which starred Bud Collier, and of course I was a comic book fanatic as a as a kid, and still am to a certain extent. You know, I, uh, and uh, so yeah, that was always something that interested me. Bud Collier Go. did the uh, he did the uh, Flasher cartoons too, didn't he? Didn't he do the voice? Yes, for... he did. He did the Flasher cartoons. Uh, he did the radio series up from the late 30s up to the early 50s. Uh, another guy took it over for a short period of time. And, of course, he was a game show host. And uh, and then he uh, did uh, the cartoons that were done in the early 60s uh, for television uh, as uh, doing the voice of Superman. Uh, Is this the same early... Bud Collier that did To Tell the Truth on TV? That's correct. That's yep. correct. Yep, yep. He was the voice of Superman on radio and in the movies, uh, the oh, Superman yeah. Fleischer cartoons. Oh. Yep. And I have that. Uh, I have that 60s series. I have the, all the Fleischer cartoons. I've got the both of the 1940s serials, and I've got the complete run of the uh, 50s television show Superman. My goodness, Mike, you beat me. And I've, I've got. got I've got. I've got every Superman movie that's been done sense from the Christopher Reeve ones all the way up through the latest from Man of Steel. If it's Superman or Batman, sir, if, I, if, if it's out there, I've got it. Or in, in the process of getting it. Has the Superman versus Batman been released uh, on video yet? It has not yet? been released, but it will be, when it does, it'll be in my house the day it gets released. Wow. Because I'll pre-order it and get it here delivered from Amazon the day it's released. But I've got both of the uh, the Batman 1940 serials. 
I first saw those in the 60s uh, when I was a kid. Uh, we used to, I don't know if they did this in Georgia or not, but living in Pensacola at the time, or staying in Pensacola with my grandparents at the time, they used to do kitty matinees on uh, on Saturdays, and you you got in. You didn't have to pay anything. You got in with bottle caps. Huh. Well, they, the... they, they, they'd do the uh, Popeye cartoons, and then they'd run an old, find an old uh, cliffhanger serial and play those, and then uh, some sort of feature film. You know, it was an all-day thing. But when, that's how uh, I first Adam... saw those serials. Yeah, when the Adam West uh, series was on TV, uh, they reissued those both of those Batman serials uh, for small small theaters, and they showed them, you know, uh, the entire s- serial from episode one to the end, right? Uh, uh, you know, in one sitting, and it was hard to stay awake for the whole thing. But at any rate, it was. Uh, I saw one of the bat the, the the second Batman. It was the one that had Batman and Robin in it. Batman and Robin. Kid, yeah. yeah, the kid with the Brillo hair uh, playing Robin. I I have never seen the first Batman serial, but I have seen I do have both of the Superman serials. And I tried to do a uh, a story for the Wrestling News on uh, uh, comic book mentions of uh, comic characters. Uh, they they had one where Superman uh, wrestles uh, Argentina Rocca and a few wow. others. There there were kind of quite a few of them, and uh, Marvel gave me permission to use their characters, but DC, which was a shame because I was a much bigger DC fan than I was Marvel at that time, would not give me approval to use uh, their characters in the uh, story. Of course, I can't, you know, I have no way of proving it, but I've always thought that Ben Grimm of uh, the Fantastic Four was based on Dick the Bruiser. Yeah, that's, uh, you know. I mean, he wore, he wore wrestling tights. He was built like a wrestler, other than the fact he, you know, he was made out of bricks. But other than that. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> and have you ever seen the, the Bugs Bunny cartoon, Bunny Hugged? With the Crusher? No, I it's well, not, I it's not Reggie's. It's that's a cartoon character, but it's I think that cartoon was made before Reggie Lasowski was ever even in the business, much less calling himself the Crusher. So I think that Bugs Bunny cartoon was made in the late forties. One of the ones with um, Bugs with the big flop, big floppy ears. Yeah, you know, he yeah. went through several looks. Yeah, before, before the classic Bugs Bunny look. Oh, well, we've just about covered the gamut, haven't we? <laughs> we always do. You know, you start off thinking you're not going to come up with something to talk about when we do the shows with, uh, you know, <laughs> no, no specifics. And uh, sometimes, the, you know, just hitting on the right right story or the right thought uh, just leads from one thing to another. Well, we just got to find some more people. Jerry can tell us they're punch drunk. <laughs> I swear he can uh, come up with some comments, <laughs> and, you know, make tonight. 
Man, I've seen some. I thought if you rang a bell, you'd be in mortal danger. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, man. I can't think. Were there any former boxers that came through here? I can't think of any former boxers that even had a a, a uh, full-time wrestling career other than Billy Hines. I mean, Tony Galento toyed with it. Max Baer toyed with it. Joe Lewis, you know, wrestled for a little bit. Right. And he was trained trained by Buddy Rogers, of all people. Um, but the only guy he ever worked with was, was Don Lee that I know of. But uh, uh. I can't think of any other guys that – I mean, there were guys that were amateur boxers like Danny Hodge, and Danny had a pro – Pro background too, but I'm I'm talking about anybody that had any significant career. Well, another one, another name, and he was a fairly big name in the '50s in in Georgia. But uh, a guy by the name of Al Massey, yeah, was a ranked heavyweight at one time before he got into wrestling. But uh, now, if you came I, in to make shots as uh, referees for matches and things like that. I've been in a ring with a few guys that was kind of ranked too, but I don't think they were ranked in the boxing. <laughs> uh, what was what was that uh, guy that was that Ann brought in? It was billed as a former Globetrotter, Sky High. What was oh, his Sky name? High Clark. Sky High Clark. That was an interesting night. Started <laughs> in Augusta on a Monday night, and I happened to be there. Was at the Bell Auditorium. It was all sitting in the dressing room. Nobody knew the guy. Nobody ever seen him. Nobody ever met him. He comes in, and sure enough, he was he was he was if he wasn't seven foot, he was darn close. Big, tall, thin guy. He comes in. He walks around, shakes hands with everybody, and uh, he goes over and sits down in the corner. And he opens. He had a little old bag. Didn't even have a suitcase. He had a little old bag, and he opened the bag up and he pulled out a brand new pair of Carlton Hildegard tights. Had never been on. And he pulled out a brand new pair of Colin Hildegard boots, and they'd never been laced up. They was brand new, and we just all looked at one another. He was horrible. How long two did he work? A week? He might have. He might have lasted two weeks. He Who did they work with? Didn't you say they put him with Zulu? No, him and Zulu got in a fight on the stage in Augusta oh, okay. after the matches that night. Uh, I don't even. It was about their wives, I think, but I can't remember. But yeah, it was so. Oh, it was nothing. They just ever, shouted at one another. It was, you know. Uh, I think Zulu was afraid that that this guy was going to take his place, and and uh, this guy was. I don't know. It was just. I mean, if they had gotten the a fight, front? neither you know they wouldn't have. You know, neither one would have landed a blow. But it was just, a, <laughs> it was just a strange. I don't know. Had he ever worked with the Globetrotters, Bobby? If he did, well, I can't say that he did or didn't. I don't know. We went. He was so bad. We was in Atlanta one night, in a in a. And you know, Gunkel used you know all South used two referees in tag matches. That was something we did in sometimes in '73. Tom came up with the idea to use two referees in all tag matches, which was very awkward. It was hard to work because, you you know, and uh, I was in Atlanta one night, and, and, and Jody was teamed with this guy, with this sky-high Clark against 
against uh uh no 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 I didn't no he was a special referee. He was a special referee and it was a tag match so they put me in a ring with him. Well the guy didn't do anything but stand in the corner. I mean he never moved. I was refereeing the whole thing. I was trying to, you know, work the match and he just stood in the corner. He didn't know what he was doing, he didn't have a clue. So Jody Jody finally come and got me and he pushed me back into the corner and he says, Do not move. And I went, Okay. So I stood there for a while and they, they did their little thing and he didn't move and nobody did nothing. So I started to move out of the corner and Jody looked at me and he said, I told you don't move. And I went, yes, sir. And I backed up in the corner and I stayed there the rest of the night. But it was just, he was, you know, he was, what he was doing, he was trying to make the guy look bad or worse than what he was. And he accomplished it. But, I mean, the guy was just horrible. He was horrible. How did he get booked in there? I don't know. I don't know. This was not near the this was not near the beginning of the end or what I thought was the beginning of the end later in the year, but it was it was uh, this was I, I think he legitimately I think Tom legitimately thought the guy was, uh, could wrestle. I don't know where he, I don't know how he got the I don't know how he got the uh, how he got booked who he contacted who he came through or whatever, but I, I honestly believe that Monday night in Augusta was the first time he'd ever been in a ring. Bowman was telling me that there was some guy that they brought in, some some karate guy, and they, oh. they married him up with Bill, and Bill worked, Listen, worked with him every. His name was weeks. Ken Hoglin. He was that from Columbus. He was from Columbus, and he ex army guy, some kind of judo champion or something. We're in it. We're. I had just started refereeing. I hadn't been refereeing long, and we were at the National Guard Armory in Columbus, Georgia. And I'm sitting in the dressing room, and Steinborn's the promoter, and he called me over, and it, the first or second match, and he said, Bobby, you're going to work this match with the Ken and the Bill. And he says, Ken, he told Bill, he said, Bill, we'd like to get him over. He's from here, blah, 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 blah. And Bill says, okay, whatever. And he told, and Dick laid out this elaborate little deal, and he said, what I want you to do, he said, when he comes off the ropes, I want you to jump straight up in the air and hit him with a karate kick. Bill, you take a bump, and he'll cover you. And Hoglin, just as serious as he could be, he looks at, at Dick and he goes, I'm not sure I can work that kick. You mean not Bill, make it – you mean pull back so that it, it, it doesn't yeah, really knock it He didn't think he could work the kick. He thought he, he – says, he says, you know, that's a dangerous kick, you know. And I'll never forget Bill. Bill never raised his voice. Bill, stood, Bill was standing there and Bill says, well, he says, if you don't. He said, right over in that suitcase, I have a pistol. He said, I will come back to the dressing room. I will pull it out of the bag. And he said, I will kill you. <laughs> this is calm. And the guy says, uh, the guy says, well, uh, I'll try. And, of course, we went out in the red. The guy was horrible. Oh, he was horrible. But Bill worked with him actually, every night for about a week. Was there air in between his foot and uh, where he was? No, he it? he landed it, but it was it was it was pillow soft. I can promise you that. <laughs> I'll tell you another story about this Hoglin guy. Before he came, before he worked for us for that week or ten days, he had been booked. They booked him on a Wednesday night at the City Auditorium. Fred Ward booked him, and they booked him as a special attraction, local guy. Blah 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 blah. Had him working with Rocket. 
So the deal is the guy wants to bleed. So he's green as a gourd. He doesn't know anything about it. He doesn't know how to get juice. So Rocket's going to do it. So Rocket told me that that, uh, Leon or Fred or Ralph or whoever gave him the deal came over and told him what the deal was and uh, asked him after he, you know, if he'd let him make come back and get him over. And, you know, of course, Rocket was very easy going. But when they got in the ring and the referee was giving him instructions, <laughs> this guy tells Rocket, he says, he says, uh, now when you, uh, when you cut me, he said, give me a souvenir. He said, cut me pretty good. He said, I want a scar. He said, I want people to believe it. And Rocket said, how big a scar you want? He said, make it good. Rocket oh. said, okay. Rocket said he cut this guy from over one eyebrow to the other eyebrow. Ah, ah. He said he laid him wide open. He said, and the guy went, good, good, good. I mean, the guy was an idiot. <laughs> so, anyway, his wrestling career was very short-lived. Hmm. Don't ask me how I remember that name, but when you said Karate Guy, that's exactly who well, I Well, I've heard that name before. Uh, yeah. Now that you mention it. Hmm. I'll tell you another guy, you were talking about a boxer. We had a referee that worked with us at Gunkel who was an ex-boxer. He was a, he was a, a middleweight, lightweight or something. His name was Ken Fryer, and he was out of Macon, Georgia. Ken was a great guy, had a wrestling career, and he also was a boxer. Uh, he, owned a, he owned a sandwich company in Macon, and uh, he came back to work refereeing. How long did he work? Ken worked with us for way over a year. I guess Ken's dead now. I, I, he had a little age on him back then. I, I, maybe not. Maybe he's still around making. I'm not sure. But he owned a sandwich company. He, made, he had a company that they would make a bunch of sandwiches, and he put them in vending machines and, you know, that sort of stuff. We're down to about uh, two and a half minutes, gentlemen. Anybody got any uh, final thoughts for the night? Well, I just hope everybody has a great Fourth of July. Be safe out there and watch out for the other guy. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna chill out and do as uh, little or nothing as I can this weekend. Me too. We're going to a little concert down at Fred Brand Amphitheater in uh, Peachtree City on Sunday night, and. Uh, with the pinkies up folks down there, but uh, who's, so, who's there? Uh, it's uh, it's, uh, it's one of their spotlight shows. The uh, this group called the uh, New Rock Review, which is uh, they're not really they're a cover band, but they're they're from Atlanta, and uh, and uh, they've been getting some pretty good notoriety, and they they do 60s and 70s cover stuff, and good. so I thought it would be a safe. Uh, uh, Sunday night. We're going to go see the Steve Miller band there later on in the month. Oh, yeah. See, that's my kind of music. I can still understand the words to their songs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm got, I've got the whole weekend to try and figure out uh, Charter Cable, their channels, okay. and how to work their, their system after being with uh, DirecTV for the last 15 years and knowing knowing that pretty easily. So you had uh, to give up the Direct TV to get the charter. Yep, 
Yep, because there was no way. And it's because the way the apartment building is wired, they've only got one wire coming in, one cable coming in. It it was dedicated. You had to do one or the other. Okay. So, but it's not bad. I ended up. I added uh, added a third room, and it's it's going to wind up being cheaper. And saying it's all the same channels. Okay. So. All right, thirty seconds, guys. All All right, right, well, guys, have a great weekend. You too, guys, and everything. Everybody have a great 4th of July, and we'll get together next week, and we'll try one more time. Good night, guys. Good night. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.